0: Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings
1: podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet. Thank you for joining us again this week. December 3rd is the International Day of Person with Disabilities, and in honor of that, we have invited our favorite disability advocate back to the podcast, Amy Amanti. Welcome back, Amy. Thanks, Sean. I like to be somebody's favorite. I'm my mommy's favorite, but (laughs) I feel like you must be many people's favorites. I'm so, so happy to have you with us today. Happy to be here. Maybe we can start, um, by you introducing yourself a little bit and tell us how you became a disability advocate. Oh yeah. I'm not actually sure how that happened, but it happened. So, um,
2: Amy Manti is my name, as you so uh, eloquently introduced me, pronouns are she, her. And um, I identify as a a cisgender white settler and I live with blindness. I live with um, neurodiversity, chronic pain, chronic illness. But I'm also an artist and I'm an arts uh, administrator. And I do most of my work within accessibility. So what does that look like? It looks like, you know, how do we make our, our shows on stages even in tv and television tv and television tv and film now I'm, I'm i'm in that bracket but how we make our content accessible for folks who are either wanting to engage with it as a as an audience or wanting to perform on stages or on screens um, and looking at employment and accessibility so i'm wearing a lot of different hats but they all gear back to access i don't know how i became the advocate. Um, I think really what happens is, is that I, I, when I lost my sight about 15 years ago, um, I was 24 years old. So there was this, this thing in me that was like, okay, well, I guess I can't retire. Like what do you, (laughs) can't retire at 24. So I just, I threw myself into volunteering because I knew that I wasn't ready to return to work in my transition. So I threw myself into volunteering and I volunteered, you know, 60 hours a week. I was very much heavily involved as I think you probably know and remember. Mm -hmm. And, um, And then as I started to learn more about disability justice, then I started to sort of connect the dots. Like there's my experience, and then there's this movement that's happening. And then there are these other folks that are like really passionate about not just the advocacy part, but like moving more into the activism part. And I always thought of of activism as, like holding protest signs outside of someplace.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's not, it, it, for me, that's not what I do. I just, I, um, I, I, I do that through learning and through teaching um, and being an active participant and an active learner in social justice. Like there's no such thing as knowing it all. So I'm also an active learner.
1: Yeah, that's so true. You're, I feel like I'm just always learning. I mean, every every podcast conversation, I feel like I learn something. So That's right. So even if you've lived with disability your whole life, that doesn't mean you know it all.
0: <laughs> Absolutely
1: true. Yeah. So in your opinion, why, or not? maybe not in your opinion, maybe just in your knowledge, in your expertise, <laughs> why do we need an International Day for Persons with Disabilities? Well, you know...
2: <sighs> December 3rd has been a I would say to some extent a little bit controversial for some mm-hmm. folks because you know we can take things too far and we can tokenize people and we can do the whole inspiration porn thing which is celebrating us for just doing the day-to-day stuff that uh, that ev- that every human being is allowed to do. But I kind of want to look at it as a positive thing. And this is I, th- this is the best way that I can I can like I live in a world of metaphors. okay? so it's this idea for me of um, where I would like us to get to is that we celebrate the one day and that's great, but we're actively celebrating the disability experience all year long. Right, like we see this with things like Valentine's Day, right—the one day a year where you tell your special someone that you really love them. But really, you should be doing that all year round, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's important to acknowledge because there's there are systemic relationships to disability that we forget to acknowledge. We don't acknowledge, uh, uh, we don't forget to acknowledge those things when we're um, working with other equity-seeking groups. Like we acknowledge enslaved folks and we acknowledge um, residential schools and those kinds of systemic things that have happened in those experiences but we don't acknowledge that in the disability experience things like um uh, denied access to education and employment uh forced sterilization um, our own version of residential schools where people with disabilities were mistreated and and abused and beaten and all of the all of the atrocities you can think of right Mm -hmm. so i think it's a celebration of empowerment of disability that who you are is exactly who you're meant to be and and that is You know, great and disability is not a bad word, but also recognizing where we where we have come from in that journey in our own sort of advocacy and and empowerment.
1: So I was doing some research on the day and yeah. um, interesting facts. So there's approximately 8 billion people on the planet and 15%, mm-hmm. uh, more than 1 billion people have disabilities yep. or live with some form of disability. Yep. Invisible and visible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a big percentage, 15%. It's a big number. Yeah. In, mm. in
2: North America, uh, advocates... <laughs> Advocates like myself are now using the number 25, 25%, because wow. the 22% uh, number was from the uh, from an old census, and it hasn't been updated yet. Okay. So, uh, 25%, so yeah, 15% 14%. globally, and 25%, you know, like if we just say in Canada, that 25% right. of our population is living with disability. That's a huge number. Where is that representation?
1: Yeah, and apparently, uh, that is the largest minority group. Yeah. So... That's pretty significant, like, to not really be acknowledged, like 364 days of the year. Right. And you and I have talked about this before, and the
2: fact that disability is the one, you know, if you look at it as a membership club, it's the one membership that we can all be a part of at any time. Yes. right? Because you're never promised a body that's free of illness or injury for your entire life. Um, and so, you know, I won't wake up tomorrow and, and experience what it's like to be um. I don't know, a person of color, or perhaps a member of the LGBTQ community, but I know what it's like to have woken up and experienced disability, right? And so we're Mm -hmm. all sort of, uh, we're all eligible to be members of that club. And I think that's why it ends up being the largest, like largest minority group, because we are all, we're all invited to that club.
1: Yeah. So I also read, so person, Persons with disabilities have generally poor health, lower educational achievements, fewer economic opportunities, and higher rates of poverty than people without disabilities. This is largely due to the lack of services available to them like information and technology, justice and transportation, and the many obstacles they face in their everyday lives, including those related to the physical environment, those resulting from legislation and policy, or from societal attitudes and discrimination. I mean, that's a, lot. <laughs> that's a lot. If you
2: if you relate that back to what's happening in Canada around the medical assistance in dying program, mm-hmm. so they you know recently um, I don't know I don't want to say, invited allowed whatever the term is that you want to use, but changed the legislation so that somebody with a disability who isn't because um, so made was was about folks who had um, an imminent death approaching right you had a diagnosis or you had imminent death approaching um to be able to make a decision about uh about prolonging your life and then they opened it up to folks with disabilities that didn't have this right and so this 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 conversation's happening about great so now you're basically telling me because i'm blind if i want out because i hate my life i can have that Mm -hmm. and i go back and forth because i think you know I would love to have control over my own exit strategy, doesn't matter where I am in my life. What the controversy is is that folks are, and this is happening now, Sean, that folks are taking advantage of, like folks with disabilities are exiting this world because of disability, but the tandem there is because they have lack of supports and you mentioned that, right? Mm -hmm. So when we get to a place where it's like, okay, you have no more barrier to employment or housing or food or social activity, and you still are like, yeah, you know what, this wasn't my plan, okay. Exiting is a different discussion. Right, right. If you're exiting because you're having trouble finding housing and you're having trouble finding food and you're having trouble, you know, accessing services, that is that should never happen, ever. But that's where we are right now, is that these folks who are exiting are not exiting because of uh, of their experience with disability, but their lack of being able to experience and to get resources to support their lives.
1: Well, oh, that breaks my heart. Yeah, that is heartbreaking. And I, I think it boils down to the medical versus the social model of disability, right? Like medically, we might not be able to do anything to improve the body right. in whatever way that it has a disability, but socially we can do some things. We can do a lot of things so that, you know, you can access that building or you can read that important document or you can have the technology you need to do jobs or you we can educate people about the capabilities of people with disabilities.
2: Yeah, that's why this work takes a lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I always say in my work is is there's no finish line in social justice, disability justice, uh, reducing ableism. There's no finish line. So you know, um, it takes a lifetime to do this work because, uh, because we're all individuals and you can see how much work there is to do.
1: I've heard you say, if you've met one person with a disability, you've met one person with a disability, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I love that. Can you speak to that a little bit? You know, it's something that they say in the autistic
2: community a lot, which is if you've met one person with autism, you have met one person with autism. And it really is this idea of, we are all so different and, and also unique. We're humans. We have varied experiences. So and you know this, Sean, you know, two people with blindness or low vision or will have two very different experiences, even if you're if you have no sight and you've never had sight in your life. Yes. Right. So we can say that, OK, you've got two people who are congenitally blind and maybe have never seen from birth, but their experiences are very different.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and that is really the, the idea. And their barriers may
1: be different. Right. And well, there's an in- intersectionality at play, too, of course. course.
2: Yeah. Intersectionality and positionality are very much at play. You got that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting that that statement came from the autism world and autism would be one subgroup of disability. So that's yes. just totally sets the stage. Like truly knowing somebody with a disability does not make you any kind of expert on disability. That's right. And even if you have one, that doesn't mean anything really. It means you're an expert on your own experience, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, the work that I do, I I do in community with folks, because I don't want to be the one who's speaking on behalf of everybody. But I also know that there are are, so you know, I do a lot of research, and I engage with a lot of different folks with disabilities, so that if I'm the only voice at the table, that I can speak to a broad experience as opposed to, like, I leave my experience at the door, and I speak to a broad experience, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that it's not always just about me, but it does take advocates and educators to understand that there is a community and it's not just about you, right? This is the same idea when I when I talk about things like um, somebody tried to teach me how to use JAWS once. I've had tried to use JAWS many, many times, and it's been very difficult for me to find somebody who knows how to teach it because you may know how to use it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you know how to teach how to use it, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of the same metaphor. See, I talk in metaphors. It's just what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: love it. It's easy to understand. <laughs> it's accessible. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. So the International Day for Persons with Disabilities um, started in 1992. Mm-hmm. Do you, I know you didn't even have a disability yet in 1992. I, I don't even know if you were born yet, but. <laughs> oh, I was. Okay, good. I was. <laughs> um, so, but do you know, have we made progress since the day became a day?
2: Oh, I would say absolutely we've made progress. Now, that that progress may be in small incremental steps and not as quickly as other equity-seeking groups um, in terms of the progress that they've made, but I think, you know, my new philosophy, my new philosophy, I say new, but like in the last many years, what I've been thinking about in terms of disability and and the moving forward with the movement of social justice and all of that good stuff is that as long as we keep moving forward to build on that momentum, because it's so easy to do the whole one step forward, three steps back kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and that it does happen. But how do we you know, how do we as a as a as a human race think about what the next steps forward are and Again, if we want to make a massive metaphor about it, We're asked to do that, whether we're thinking, you know, thinking about climate change. Right. And it's like so there are these big organizations that can eliminate all of their, you know, all their plastic waste. But there's also what I can do as an individual by recycling my bottles and cans. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we look at disability movements, you know, what can the big companies do? How can they use their privilege to, I don't know, make their hiring practices more accessible or update their buildings, all of those things? And then what can the human do, the individual human? Um, who's an ally of the community. And that is the truth for me around the disability experience is that we need allies. Because there are lots of us and us in the community that just, one, don't want to be your teachable moment. Two, don't have the stamina to do it, right? There's a lot of that. So that makes it a very small number of us that are doing the advocacy work.
1: Okay. I'm so glad you brought up allyship because I think that is a really important Yeah. Conversation that I don't think we've had on this podcast yet of like, how can you be an ally? And I'm, I don't even know if I know the answer myself, uh, when I think about the close people in my lives, and how in my lives, (laughs) (laughs) the close people in my life, I only have one life, (laughs) multiple people, but one life, (laughs) but you know, just like, even how I want my husband to interact with me around my disability is complicated, right? It's like, like, so to be an ally is to, in my mind, acknowledge the challenges I face, but don't be overly helpful, but don't make any assumptions. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. And it can change from one day to the next. Yes. Or one environment to the next. That's so true. Yeah. And so, I mean, do people without disabilities, like, how, how can they be allies? Because I feel like this is challenging. It's so challenging. And
2: that's going to be like a different answer for, as you say, because there are 8 billion of us on the planet and 15% of that 8 billion, over a billion, you know, right? It's, yeah. it's over a billion different experiences. I think, for me, that boils down to nothing about us without us, right? It's this mm-hmm. um, understanding of having a conversation. Um, it's the same in my family. Sean, when I, you know, so, you know, as an example, I'm, I'm going, on, I'm leaving in days to go on a cruise. And that's an environment I am not familiar with. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with my environment in my home. Right. And I don't need support in my home the way that most folks might think I need support in my home. Uh, but when I'm in an environment that I don't know, yeah, I'm not going to be able to find a bathroom, because yeah. I'm not going to be able to read the signs. So that means that, you know, every time I need to, to use a facility, I'm going to have to say to somebody in my family, you know, can you tell me where there's a bathroom? Keep your eye open for a bathroom. Can you, all of those kinds of things. And knowing that that actually takes an emotional, there's a, there's an emotional uh, and there's a a mental strain on us with the disability to
1: always be asking for what we need. Right. That's a real thing. Um, And thinking ahead also like anticipating I'm going to need one because you don't want to wait too long. (laughs)
2: right right because then it's five miles away from where you are right right um yeah i mean that's the like the prep work that i do is like okay family we're going on a cruise always keep your eyes open for the bathrooms and even if i don't say to you i'm gonna need a bathroom you can just say hey we're near a bathroom right Right. yeah that's an example of allyship so that i don't have to be the one who asks it all the time right or if somebody else is saying i'm gonna go grab some food from the buffet you want to come with me you know this is all in my in my cruise world but that's the world that i'm you know, yeah, that I'm not familiar with, right. Um, and I think that that's how we start the conversation with allyship is, is, is about nothing about us without us. What are your needs? And and as you say, Sean, it's very difficult to ask people to not make assumptions, mm-hmm. uh, especially people that don't know us. Um, but I think I think the allyship thing is a two way street, because as much as I know that my family makes assumptions about what I need, and then I get frustrated, because I'm like, I actually don't need that. Yeah. Stop asking me if I need that. That um, I also need to be a little bit gracious because they're trying their best too. Right. So I think that that's reciprocated in a way. What we don't, what, what I would say we don't want to do in, in terms of allyship is the idea of performative allyship, which is like making a big deal out of something, uh, being performative about it. Again, you've heard me use this example before, but it's like, uh, you know, if we go to a restaurant together and there's a sighted person and a blind person and and uh, the, the, the server says, what will she have? And the sighted person says, oh, she's gonna have the burger, right? That's performative mm. allyship where your ally would just say, well, why don't you ask her what she's gonna have, right? She has her own voice.
1: Yeah, So oh, that's, that's interesting. So that's, I wouldn't even have thought of that as performative because to me that's kind of offensive.
2: It totally is, but, a, but that is performative allyship takes away the autonomy of the individual to speak for themselves, right? It comes from a place of good intentions. But yeah. it does do that, it, and and then for some of us who've had this happen to us many, 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 many times, then it's like, for crying out loud, seriously, right? Like, mm-hmm. and then when when it happens to me within my family or with my close friends, mostly within my family, but you know, then I'm the person who's like, don't you know this by now? Don't you know that you should just tell them to ask me? And then sometimes I get. Yeah, but it's just so much easier to just like address them, you know, and and be done with it and move on. It's like, I get that, but that's not your
1: position in allyship. Well, and then what does that teach the person taking the order? Absolutely. People with disabilities can't speak for themselves, don't speak for themselves, don't need to be addressed directly. Yeah. Well, this
2: is how we fuel stereotypes and stigmas, right? Yeah. This This is how... How the the mainstream world views us because they've learned it from somewhere.
1: Hmm. So when I hear nothing, nothing about us without us, nothing about us without us, I think never ever assume or speak on behalf of a person with a disability. Like, don't assume you know. Yeah, is that what that means? Nothing about us without us. In its
2: core, is um, not making decisions on our behalf. Uh, is inviting us to the table to have the conversation. And this happens like locally and small, you know, family groups, but also like, um, I don't know, the big, the biggest companies in the world, right? Instead of saying, I, I, I can put this back to my work in theater, instead of saying, well, we think that this show should have audio description and this show should have ASL interpretation and this show should be a relaxed performance. Well, maybe you should ask deaf folks you know what shows they want to uh, witness maybe you should have blind folks look at some scripts and say actually this could be a really interesting show for audio description whereas some shows you know we we try and package the access around and it 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 misses the mark I remember I remember very distinctly being at a festival where they provided audio description for everything and this one piece that they provided audio description for was a abstract, digitally created something visual. Um, And abstract is so hard to Mm -hmm. describe. Mm -hmm. But so they were trying to describe this digitally abstract thing on the fly. Anyways, uh, after the festival was over, they had a group. They had me bring in a group of blind people to review the access after the festival. Um, And the, the folks in the space were like, why did you bother? Right. Why did you bother trying? Like it, it, the, the, the description, like you couldn't make pictures out of that description in your mind. And it wasn't because it was bad description. It was because it was not a piece that was real, that really lent itself to access. So you have to ask yourself those questions. Like, you know, we ask, I ask myself this question when I work with deaf folks, which is we assume that deaf folks wouldn't want to see a musical
1: mm-hmm. because they're deaf,
2: but did anybody ever ask? Right. Right. Yeah. So that's, 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 I mean, you know, these things start to blend. That's, that's nothing about us without us. And that's also performative allyship.
1: <laughs> I am seeing so much more of that, uh, reaching out to the disability community for feedback on, you know, I think of like companies like Descriptive Video Works, the yep. Push Festival. I've personally been involved yep. in both of those giving yep. feedback, in advance or or yep. feedback on work they've done so they can improve for the future. Yep. And that is fantastic. And like bringing together focus groups and, and advisory councils and, and things like yep. that, right? So it's not just one blind person yep. sharing their view. It's a collection of people. Yep.
2: And this, Sometimes, is work,
1: sorry. this is the work
2: that I do in the arts, right? And the arts, I think, has been a leader in this. Yeah, right? yeah, I uh, agree. Not just with disability, but also with... Other equity-seeking communities, which is you know, come in and teach us about decolonization and work with us instead of us making assumptions of what that looks like, or um, anti-racism practices, those kinds of things.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I want to think of some more examples of of good of allyship in terms of disability. I'm thinking of the restaurant scenario. So, somebody sitting down at the table, opening up the menu, and and starting to give you the, you know. I appreciate when people just start reading me the menu or, or say like, you know, do you want me to read the topics to you Um, versus me having to ask, could you please read me the menu that, so that's not, and that's very different than ordering for me, right? Yes. That would be allyship 101 is the the offer, Mm -hmm.
2: right? The same thing with sighted guide instead of assuming and pulling somebody you offer. Yeah. Right.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. So that, yeah, (laughs) that we have to go there because, oh my goodness, it just, it's my biggest pet peeve of the, the invisible hands that grab me in the world to push me onto the bus or the train or across the street or whatever it is.
2: And even there's an extra layer of ickiness because of COVID.
1: Yes, that's true. It's just an extra layer, but Yeah. So intent versus impact, yes, applies here, right? Like oh my gosh, <laughs> Sean, you just learned
2: so much in all these spaces. I love it. Intent versus impact, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, actually, we did an allyship, a conscious allyship workshop at Blind Beginnings for yeah. our staff and board, and um, I, I did learn some of the lingo. But I, yeah, I mean, it's the intention could be, and I get this all the time because I will usually rant on Facebook after a particularly grabby day. <laughs> multiple <laughs> invisible hands, um, about how frustrated I am. And people will pipe in with, well, they're just trying to help. And, yeah. you know, that's the defense all the time. Right. Yep. but Imagine if you would, like, if you couldn't see and people were constantly grabbing you every time you went out in the world, like, how would you feel? Yeah. When I teach a, a sighted guide
2: workshop now, um, and I do this with consent of the people in the space, Right. Um, I ask them, uh, to close their eyes for a moment. And again, this is all about consent, but just to close your eyes a, for a moment. And I'm going to pull you in a, in a direction.
1: Mm-hmm. So they don't
2: know which way it's coming from. Um, and I, I, usually, it's one arm or the other, like, I'm not gonna, you know, yeah. pull them from a you weird body, body part or anything in. like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's just, I just pull them one step. Right. But they don't know where it's coming from. And in that moment, and then afterwards I say, so what did that feel like to you? Did you feel like you had, you know, lost the sense of trust, lost a sense of balance, lost a sense of space, lost a you know? sense of control, control, all of those things? And it's quite remarkable how that one moment for them is like, okay, I'm never going to do this to any mm-hmm. other human being for any other reason, right? Like it's it's not necessarily about blindness; it's about, you know, it's about recognizing that that is a scary thing to experience. Yes, um, and then of course you you package that with the knowledge that. You know, if I look like I'm trapped in a corner, maybe it's because I'm looking for my landmark, which is a garbage can, which is in this corner. And I'm like, yes, I found where I need to be. Totally, totally. And nobody sort of understands that they just look like, oh, the blind person is trapped in a corner. I suppose I should pull them out of that. Yes. Right. Yeah. But you're right. That happens to us all the time on a, on a like severely regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's- and it's terrifying. There was a story once, um, I think it was out of the States where, <clears throat> excuse me, where a blind person was pulled into a into a into a car right like we don't know why we're being pulled like it could be mm-hmm. the best of intentions but it could be the worst of intentions too. oh well
1: so i mean the sky train here in vancouver you know it it's not necessary. There's there could be multiple trains going multiple directions at some of the stations. For there sure. are so you don't actually know which one I want, but you're pushing me onto the train before <laughs> I've had a chance to check if it's my train. Like yes. I don't, you don't know where I'm going. How can you assume just because the doors open and I'm standing there that that's what I want to do? Right?
2: Absolutely.
1: Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's a that's a hard and I think. For me, I don't feel scared necessarily because it's happened so often. Yeah. If somebody was actually grabbing me for other reasons, yeah, I would probably just assume they weren't right. Like at this point, I'm like, oh, it's just a person trying to help me, Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it's more the psychological damage it does in that moment to me that- yeah you don't think I'm capable of boarding this train independently. You don't think I'm capable of, of just managing my life or being independent in this situation. And that is more harmful than the grabbing for me. It's because that can really ruin my day. I can just, then I start to feel bad about myself and I have to do a lot of work to get myself back from there and remind myself, I am independent. I deserve to be here. I am capable. I'm just as good as any anybody else. Like- yep all that stuff, right? All the,
2: all the work we do to um, unlearn within ourselves the internalized ableism. Yes, right? Cuz that's that's what that is. That is the world say that the world says that we aren't capable, therefore we say, okay, if the world says it it must be true. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we all, I hope we all that, that those of us who are living with disability are actively trying to like unlearn that. Um, which is really hard. And then when you get to a place where you feel really confident then all of a sudden the world tells you, nope, sorry, we're putting you back here in this, you know, <laughs> in this place where yeah. you belong, right? And then you're like, oh shoot, maybe I do belong. And it, you're right, It take, that's an, the psychological damage, the emotional damage, and then how that feeling that I carry, that you carry, what that does to how we interpret, like how we uh, express ourselves to the next person in our space, whether that's a loved one but like mm-hmm. all of that energy, all of that feeling gets imparted on somebody else.
1: Well, right? and it we affects, it in and then we
2: spread it around.
1: Totally, and it affects your self esteem, and yeah. then your security in other relationships. Because you've just—if you think about it—if every time I go on transit, this happens, which yeah. I'm going to tell you, probably ninety percent of the time does, it does. It's yeah. more rare when it doesn't. Yeah. And then I'm expected to just navigate the rest of my relationships believing that I am equal. Like, that's pretty hard, right? That's, yeah. And
2: then extrapolate that to, uh, maybe I shouldn't apply for that job. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. I shouldn't because everybody tells me that I can't even get on transit to get to work.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, how is an employer going to believe I'm capable? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I know, right? Heavy stuff. And maybe this is exactly why International Day with People with Disabilities is important. Yeah. Because these conversations continue to happen.
1: Okay, so if you are that really wanting to be helpful person, is there a way to be an ally in this example? You're you're on a uh, you're at a bus stop or you're crossing a busy street. You see a person who's blind. How can you be an ally as a sighted able-bodied person?
2: I say you just you ask the question. There's a level of assumption, obviously there. Um, because you're asking the question.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I would say that, and I know many folks with disabilities who blind or, or whatever disability, who are tired of being asked the question, um, I will tolerate the question because I know that even if I don't need it in that moment, there is somebody out there that really needs to have that question asked. Mm-hmm. And if it's done the right way, then I reinforce that behavior. This, this happened to me the other day, actually I was taking an Uber and I was on Seymour Street, which is a one-way street. Uh, three I think it's either I think it's three lanes of traffic but it's a one-way street and so my uber didn't pull up in front of my side of the sidewalk Mm. they were on the other side of the street right and yelling at me saying I'm over here I'm over here and I said well I can't see you I'm blind I'm not gonna cross the street to get to you can you you know come around here and this I swear to god the sweetest little old man was walking down the sidewalk and he stopped and he said to me can I escort you across the street because oh. he was hearing this conversation. Yeah. And I said to him, "Yes, please. Thank you for your kindness," right? Yeah. And like he was he was watching this thing unfold. Yeah. Um and and the 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 lack of dignity that I was experiencing because of this situation. And so he did all the right things in offering and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't, I know how I want to cry. But that nice. in that moment I just felt like, "Oh my gosh," This, like, thank you for that support. I needed that. Thank you for that allyship. Right. And he could have said, he could have yelled back to that person and said, wait a second, this is a blind person. What are you doing? Like, you need to come on this side of the street. That would have been performative allyship. Right. Right. Um, But the, 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 you know, um, the sentiment of, okay, I'm going to just ask this person because I think there's a need there that's being identified.
1: Well, uh-huh. you said something, he, he watched the situation unfold. And yeah. I just think if people just waited a second yeah. before jumping in also, because how mm. many times I have been, what, just exactly what you described, yeah. basically in the corner looking for the landmark, or I just overshot the escalator slightly yeah. the other yesterday, actually, I, I approached the down instead of the up, but they're right beside each other. And as soon as I found that it was the down, right. I would have moved to the right to go up, but somebody was like panicky. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, not that one, not that one. Right. Like, I'm yeah. not going to, yeah. I can't, I feel the, <laughs> I have my ways. I feel the yeah. handrail. I can feel whether it's coming down or up. I'm not going to step on it if it's the wrong way. I mean, I guess there could be a collision of someone coming towards me and there's some urgency, but nobody on the escalator was screaming. It was the person watching it all happen. Yeah. If he just gave me like a split second to discover and move over. I'm fine. I don't need you to intercede, intercede, interfere. I don't know.
2: (laughs) I think those, I think they're both relative words that, that fit in that sentence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you're right. That's
1: part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. It's so nice when people get it right. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's just so refreshing. Um, I had somebody, Asking me multiple times during my commute because we kept transferring at the same points. And finally, he actually said, I just want you to know before this next train comes that I'm getting off at such and such a stop. I just don't want you to think I'm stalking you. (laughs) You know, it was just, but he kept asking, All right, do you need some assistance? And, uh, you know, I'm like, Actually, no, I'm fine, but thank you. And (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Oh, it is funny. Sometimes it's funny.
2: Some, yeah, sometimes it is.
1: And and sometimes I, I
2: remind myself that I I too need to just be like, okay, I can laugh in this moment, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, taking that, that internalized ableism to a, a very dark place. And yeah. I, as a human, I'm trying very hard to be better at that because I am super, super susceptible to internalized ableism. Like oh, I, I, it yeah. impacts me big time. Um, so I'm, I'm, again, that's
1: part of like my journey and my uh, learning how to learning how to unlearn. Well, let's talk about that. Um, Cause it's, it's something I didn't even know was a thing until I guess sometime during COVID. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, that is so me too. Like in, yeah. internalized day, but like you think because you have a disability, you're, you don't have any thoughts or feelings about disability or something. I don't know that you're immune to to ableism, but no, not. So can you define it maybe for people who don't know what it is?
2: Yeah. I, you know, I mean, essentially ableism has been the viewpoint that, uh, that the non-disabled or the able-bodied experience is, is the priority, is the norm, is the ideal. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's like, if you look at the loose definition of that, so when we start to um, experience that as humans, right? Like you said, um, you know, somebody's pulling you from the sky train or whatever, because they think that their able-bodied position is much better than yours. That's a thing. But this also happens within the disability community, right? Um, and I and I've I've experienced ableism within the community where, like, a wheelchair user tries to to be performative in allyship around sighted guide, right, or those kinds of things. So. We are not immune to it as folks within the disability community, and we also um, uh, have there's a there's a a thing called the disability hierarchy, which is like which disability is at the at the top of the hierarchy and which disabilities are at the bottom of the hierarchy, and it's it's a thing, and that is related to internalized ableism because you know s- wheelchair users have have kind of been at the top, because they have more privilege, so to speak, right? Like we could get into into the weeds about all of these these buzzwords that we're using. But you know, the the people that have the most privilege would be the wheelchair users and the people that have the least amount of privilege would be folks like uh, living with cognitive disabilities, right? Like if we look at the hierarchy, so as an individual, I have to say to myself, well, I'm not gonna like not talk to my friends who are blind and have cognitive disabilities just because we have different experiences, but we mm-hmm. often poo poo on that. Even within the blind community, it's like folks that have partial sight have more privilege than folks who have no sight. Right. And so sometimes those two groups of people won't communicate. Cause it's like, well, that I don't, you know, that's not my experience. I'm not, I'm not really blind. Like you are yeah. right? that yeah. kind of idea.
1: Um, I, I think tough. for me, it shows up more as I don't want to look blind so yes. feeling around for things or shuffling to find the top step or getting in that corner to try to find my way, like yeah. people noticing me yeah. being blind, yeah. um, is like, it's okay. I have no problem saying I'm blind. I have yeah. no problem being a poster child for blindness, even as long as I don't, and I'm getting much better now on it. Well, cause I have like almost no vision. So really- I don't have a choice anymore. If I don't feel around for the thing, I'm not going to find the thing. So, yeah. but yeah, it would be I'm not going to reach on the table for the chips that are in the center in this social situation in case I overshoot it or, you know, have to like feel around before I find it. And everybody sees that. That makes me so uncomfortable. That's
2: I, and, and, like the truth is, is like maybe people aren't even watching. Maybe yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You're, you're dying to have a glass of water and nobody's really watching if you're going to knock it over. Right. Cause that's, we're just making that assumption.
1: That's true. But there's this pride in people saying things like you don't look blind or I never would have known you were blind or, you know, this, and I heard that so much growing like through most of my life that it's like, Oh wow. That's like a, that's such a compliment. It's like telling somebody, Oh, you've lost so much weight. You look great kind of implying you didn't before well if I don't look blind if you couldn't tell I was blind then that means if you could tell there's something bad about that
2: that. that's I mean you want to talk about ding 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 ding, ding, like right Mm -hmm. like that's so internalized ableism and the harm that that does because there's Sean at a table not enjoying you know the chips that are for everybody and not enjoying the social interaction because of this feeling like yeah. Your blindness experience is not welcome or not yeah.
1: adequate, right? And I could be hungry. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Like I, mean, I have been in that situation where I'm actually hungry. I want the thing, yeah. but it's it's just going to be awkward to get it. And it might just be a simple like, oh, can you pass the chips? Or where are the chips? Or I just yeah. have to say, I don't even have to feel around necessarily, yeah. but I have like, I have an aversion to that. Yeah. Which I'm, i I think is internalized ableism. It super is. Um, I I gave I gave up on that early
2: in the in, early in my blindness uh, journey because um, because I live with type one diabetes and so mm. there would be these moments where you know for example I need sugar and I need it now and that's a life or death situation and if I don't voice that um, I will die at this table right like that yeah kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought I you know I I. I, too, kind of like it when people tell me that I don't, you know, that I, yeah. I wouldn't have known. And it's like, really? Because I have this cane and I'm actually doing the things that blind people do. Right. But, uh, but somehow, because I was able to, you know, grab this thing off a shelf, I'm a, some kind of superhero.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. that is is that that is exactly, it's like, I, I get this. It's like, I want the world to see that I'm capable. Yeah. I want the world to, to believe that I'm capable. Um, And a part of me thinks that if the world sees me as capable, they'll see the next blind person as capable. Exactly.
1: Oh yeah. I totally think I'm representing for the whole population all the time. It's a lot of
2: pressure. Right. And the minute they come across somebody in our community who may have an additional disability, who like walks around with food all over their clothes or whatever, Mm -hmm. they they paint my world with that.
1: That has always been, that was my fear growing up. Yeah. So like, I don't want to be, I don't want you to assume I'm like somebody who can't do the thing. So then I have to be able to do all the things yep. all the time independently, which yep. is so exhausting. I'm oh, yeah, no kidding. And impossible.
2: Yeah. Because people that don't live with disability can't do all the things either. No. Exactly. Yet somehow we tell ourselves that we must be these, these beings that that don't ever need to ask for anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. Like everybody, it's because of the assumption that able-bodied is better that I, I feel I'm trying to overcome, rise above, um, yeah. whatever, right. Like, okay. Or prove I am still just as good, yeah. but then I'm, I'm like overdoing it. I'm over-functioning in order to be seen as equal when, all the able-bodied people can be as lazy as they want all the time. And they yeah. just, I guess that is privilege, right? That's the privilege yeah. of being able-bodied. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You already have value. That is, uh, oh God, doesn't it hurt to say that out loud? Mm-hmm. Crying out loud,
2: that hurts. Uh, but it is so true. It's so true. And I think that a part of allyship is, is uh, especially with, with able-bodied folks, because we can have allies within the disability community too, is recognizing that privilege right there. Yeah. Right? If you can recognize this is and I I've been talking to my own family about this for a long time is like recognizing the privilege you have to have a body that functions um in a way that you don't have to maintain it the same way that I have to maintain my, you know, you don't have to make the same again traveling for my cruise, all of the things that I have to bring in order to Be comfortable on my cruise is not the same stuff that other people have to bring Mm -hmm. and so like somebody in my family would say something like well why do you need such a big suitcase right well it's not because i'm going to bring home a load of souvenirs right do you think if i couldn't like if i i would rather travel small but i there are things that i need to bring to support Mm -hmm. to support my disability and that's just the way it is so you know there's 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 all sorts of nuances of of ableism and, and all of these things. And, and and because it's so nuanced and some of it seems with air quotes, so small, so small, it's just like a small thing. That's why it's a microaggression. But you add up all these hundreds and hundreds of microaggressions and they become really toxic.
1: Yeah. Because we experience them all day long. I'm kind of gonna go off on a tangent because I just Love want it. your opinion on something. <laughs> and it's like a, it's a situation that I believe is ableist and (laughs) I don't know how to deal with it. And it's like true really happens. Okay. Okay. So I have someone in my life who has more than at least three times that I'm aware of not said hi to me when our paths have crossed because my husband has witnessed Uh this happen. And then, and so, so sometimes it's that I I'm there first. And then they notice him and then they say hi. Uh-huh. And other times. Um, yeah, they they, they kind of sometimes no hi happens at all. And I right. and he tells me about it afterwards. But maybe there's an exchange of a wave or something between the two sighted folks. Right. So I know this has happened. It makes me feel crappy. Yeah. Um, maybe the person just doesn't want to talk. But they can't get away with that with sighted folks. So how am I supposed to feel about that? And and what would you do if that was you? Like, would you call the person out or because they they actually, I think, you know, consider themselves educating themselves on privilege and things like that in other areas. Yeah, and have even said at at one point like, call me out if there's something that I do. Yeah. Uh. But I don't. Yeah. Then you have an
2: invitation. Yeah. You have an invitation. Um, I like to say, and I, I, I I do this all the time, but I, I, I call people in, I invite them in to my Mm -hmm. world. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's really the same thing, but I, that is icky and awful. Um, and probably happens more to us that live with blindness than we even acknowledge that it happens. And I too have been in situations where you find out later, That's somebody, Mm -hmm. I had dinner the other night with my mother and, uh, and she said, oh, there's somebody over there from, from the dragon boat team, a sighted person. And she can see them. And, uh, and, uh, I actually went to use the bathroom and I got up and I passed right by their table with my cane and then passed right by the table to come back to my, to my table. Not a single word. Oh, not a single word. And so my mother said to me, Oh yeah, they know that we're here. Whoa. They know that they're, that we're here and they didn't come over. And So you're like, okay, so we can be like friendly, chummy, you know, for eight months out of the year. And then all of a sudden we see each other in a random space and you yeah. can't say hello, but I didn't go over and say hello either. But if had I been by myself, I wouldn't even know that they were there.
1: Yeah. Right. So like, well, yeah. And for me, I, I don't notice until it's wherever I've already passed the person. I might hear their voice and then I'm like, Oh, okay. That's awkward to turn around and be like, Oh, hi. So-and-so I didn't yeah. see you there. <laughs> like, obviously yeah,
2: I know. I, it's funny how often I use that too. I didn't see you there. And then I laugh. It's like, Oh yeah, of course I didn't see you there. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, I, you know, if you have an invite from this person to be able to say, Hey, you know what? Say hello to me when you, you know, when you see me,
1: Yeah. I, you know,
2: that's I mean I just not only is I would say that that would be ableist I would also just say that 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 you know if you have a relationship with somebody that you're calling them a friend mm-hmm. this is bad friendship yeah it's just awful that's just awful friendship
1: okay um, well thank you for validating my feelings there
2: because yeah, <laughs> uh, it is absolutely absolutely I mean it has,
1: I it's confusing too it's like uh, I think we're friends but maybe well, not it's also
2: it's also like Sean's too much work to say hello to, so and she'll never know I'm here.
0: Mm-hmm. That's get away like,
2: with it, so yeah. To. That's how I feel when that happens to me. Is like, okay, I'm actually not a human in your world, uh, unless I need to be a human in your unless you can't like avoid me. Yeah, and that just feels ouchy and icky.
1: Um,
2: I'm sorry that that happened to you. No, thank um, you. And I'm sorry that it happens to many blind folks because I'm sure that it does.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it does. Okay, so a positive uh, statement that I read on the United Nations website about Uh, this day. So evidence and experience shows that when barriers to their inclusion are removed and persons with disabilities are empowered to participate fully in societal life, their entire community benefits. Barriers faced by persons with disabilities are therefore a detriment to society as a whole and accessibility is necessary to achieve progress and development for all. So basically, if you include us, the whole world will be better. <laughs> yep.
2: this is the concept of <laughs> universal design, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. If it's If it's good for folks with disabilities, it's good for everybody. Yeah. And it's true. That's so true. I mean, you could boil that down to, uh I don't know, uh, the 10 steps outside of a building, right? Um, you take the 10 steps away. It's good for folks with disabilities. It might also be good for seniors. It might also be good for, I don't know, kids rollerblading. It could like uh, per, uh, mm. parents pushing baby strollers. Like it's good for everybody. Your, yeah. your mail carrier that has to, you know, this is, this is good.
1: Yeah. Well, announcements on the bus, like helps people who are blind, but also helps people- yeah new to our city, helps people who have difficulty reading, like, yeah. Yeah. So generally any, any added accommodations for people with disabilities are going to make everything better. But I I also think this is like, so the more you embrace or invite maybe a person with a disability into your group, the more you're also going to understand and like your attitudes will shift as well.
2: Well, that's that right there is the biggest barrier. The biggest barrier uh, faced by people with disabilities is the attitudinal barrier. Mm-hmm. And if we could dismantle an attitudinal barrier, all of the other things kind of fall into, into place, right? Yeah. Uh, but there are, you know, I, I, you know I, I don't know what the statistic is. I know that blindness is the number one feared disability amongst the human race um but you know let's i think let's just be honest here and say that anybody who has the privilege of an able body today is terrified of that being taken away from them and i use that language purposely right like that's what they it's like okay i've had i've had my legs taken away i've had my ability to think taken away i've had my ability to see taken away um so i think a lot of folks are uh, I think a lot of times we get ignored because it's terrifying to address, right? It's like we ignore accessibility because, you know, one day you might have to experience, uh, you know, a space with no stairs, right? Like, hmm. so it boggles my mind a little bit that because we are all eligible for this this one membership group, that, uh, that we aren't thinking more actively about reducing barriers. Because again, it could be you tomorrow, it could be your... Your spouse, your child, your parent, right? And Why yeah. are we not thinking yeah. more proactively about these things?
1: It seems like it should be the reverse. It like does, this, right? This could happen to me, so therefore, I am totally behind yeah. setting up the world so that I can be more comfortable in it when it happens.
2: And it's and it's you know it's one of my greatest hopes about the baby boomer age
1: because mm. the
2: baby boomers are the largest group of 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 uh, of a population, right? Like yeah. we know this. So baby boomers have had a lot of privilege uh, in their lives, so to speak. A lot of them have, you know, had worked in the same jobs for 30 or 40 years, had purchased homes where homes were, Mm -hmm. you know, affordable. Maybe they weren't affordable then, right, because inflation is a relative thing. But, you know, have this privilege of having uh, a lot of equity in their homes after the last 40, 50 years, whatever, that those folks, when they start to acquire disability, just due to the aging aging process, are the folks that are going to say, wait a second. I'm not going to stop going to the opera just because I lose my sight or wait a second. I'm not going to end that those voices, because there's so many of them that have come from a place of enjoying a certain level of privilege of life are going to not sit back and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm now 70. So, Mm -hmm. right. It's Mm -hmm. part of my hope in terms of the disability movement, because it takes, it takes a whole army of us to do this because we don't have active allyship. Yeah. So and, and a lot of us in the, within the disability experience aren't in places like we could potentially see um, allyship in, you know, if you are maybe a person of color who's like the CEO of an organization and how that, that you know, the trickle down effect that we all talk about that how's, how change gets made from the top
1: mm-hmm. because there's
2: a passion around anti-racism at the top mm-hmm. um, and policy change and all that stuff. But we don't have a lot of folks with disabilities who are at the tops of, com- of companies mm-hmm. who are like, huh, look at our hiring practices, they're not accessible. Yes. You know, oftentimes you're you're like the entry level employee. And so how do you even make change if you can get your your into the door to mm-hmm. get the job, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then the feeling of risking
1: losing the job because you're like, hey, you by the way, out. this
2: isn't accessible. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So such a good point. So allyship maybe is um, is those people at the top it is taking a look at this, right? Considering or inviting somebody with a disability to consult. That's right, you got it. This is how do I make my hiring practices more accessible?
2: Maybe I should ask folks with disabilities what their barriers are to employment and what their barriers are. Why am I not seeing more people with disabilities uh, um, applying for jobs in my
1: organization? Yeah, and pay them for that consultation. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. It's a valuable skill we are providing and Absolutely. I think it's often taken for granted that well, if you want this to be accessible, you'll just tell me what I should do, right? Yeah. But that's not really fair.
2: It's it's not fair, it's not equitable, right? Other folks in other seeking groups if if you are learning about decolonization or um, you know, uh gender fluidity and pronouns, you are paying those folks to uh, to provide you that information, and rightly so, but then not for disability. I don't understand. I
1: know. Well, such a discrepancy. We we did we we paid a presenter oh, so much more than I charge for blindness 101, and it was yep. very eye opening. Like, huh, no pun intended. Yeah. That I'm so undervaluing. Yeah. This expertise, right? And yep. and meanwhile, we're we're like scrimping and, and working so hard for every dollar at Blind Beginnings, and then I'm undervaluing this workshop that is valuable and important. So I struggle with that
2: all the time as a self-employed person. Like, what is it that I should charge for what it is that I'm offering? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what I do, Sean, and this is not the right way of doing things. I recognize this, but I say to somebody, I'll work within your budget. Right. Right. And then it's up to them to decide what it's worth. And sometimes they come back and they say, well, okay, well, uh, you know, this three hour workshop, I have a hundred dollars. And you're thinking, oh, uh, all the work I have to do for a hundred bucks, right? But like, what is that workshop worth? What is it? All of that stuff. So I think we, as again, these are all generalizations because I'm sure there are folks in the disability community who absolutely have this figured out. Right. I am not one of them.
1: Um, Well, I'm just afraid that they're gonna say, oh, never mind then. Yeah, and, and I really, really want them to have the information because I know right. it's going to benefit the disability community or the blindness community in my case, yeah. um, yeah. immensely, yeah. the more people who have it. So it's sort of like the trade-off of, yeah. well, I could, I would do this for free. Just to, like, I would almost pay you to sit down so I could teach you this, yeah. <laughs> right? I, I feel, I feel the
2: same way. And, and it's, you know, the difference for me is when I work with, like, for example, if I work with, uh. Uh, a, a company that like a for-profit company
1: mm-hmm. then I
2: know that they have deeper pockets if I work with a, a an individual solo artist I know they don't have deep pockets
1: mm-hmm. but
2: that the information that they can um get from me in terms of uh, accessing you know providing access within their their show let's say they will take that with them for the rest of their lives yes and that's a good thing. That's yes. what I want to happen. I want to create allies in this work, right? So mm-hmm. I too am the same, but I also have to put food on my table and pay my rent.
1: Yeah, exactly. so. Oh, Amy, I could talk to you all day. Uh, but I know you got to pack you for your too. trip. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today. I feel like maybe uh, one final thing that allies could do if they wanted to be allies, would be to share this podcast, share this podcast! <laughs> with some folks in your life who you think could maybe benefit from learning a little bit more about disability, especially given that it is the International Day of Persons with Disabilities this weekend. Absolutely. Oh, Thanks so much for joining me, Amy. Have a fabulous time on your cruise Thank you. and we'll definitely have you back again. I'm, I'm at your disposal anytime you want me. Thank you you've been listening to Limitless. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast, like, subscribe, leave us a rating and join us next time.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families.